All right, guys. Hey, thanks so much for joining me on, on this interview with Jeff Fisher. I could not be more excited. Uh, I, I put a lot of information uh, out on email and in the Facebook group about this interview and why I was excited about it. But ultimately, you know, Jeff is, has been a part of this program. He's built a really successful agency over the last couple of years that he actually went on to sell. Um, and so some really cool things to talk about in addition to, to Jeff's core know-how. But some of the stuff I'm super excited about, Jeff, is you know, the fact that you sold the agency. I want to talk about that. And then, of course, the fact that you had this virtual team, how you pulled that off, how you structured it. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Jeff, thanks for joining us on, on this live interview. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to sharing with everybody. Awesome. So let's start. If you could just tell us a little bit about your agency kind of at its peak prior to the sale, number of clients, active recurring revenue, you know, that type of stuff. Okay, so just so the video is dated correctly, the sale happened on January 1st of 2017. So when we're talking these numbers, these are real recent. This isn't like something I did five years ago. 2018, right? Was it the beginning of this year? Actually, the 1st of December. December, okay, okay. Yeah, so we're just rolling now into our third month awesome. since the sale. So um, at the time of sale, about 135 customers ranging from $37 to $2,200 a month in recurring revenue. Um, that, to kind of give perspective, 80, 80 of the 135 customers were paying less than $200 a month. So that um, is something that people need to note. A lot of customers between 450 and say $800, and then about a half a dozen above $1,000. Um, the interesting thing that when I started with the mastermind group is the biggest thing I was working at was simply to get the number of customers, my average value of a customer, dramatically higher. So that was an undertaking. Um, so as you learn here about the thousand dollar client, that was one of the things I was striving for. Um, so monthly recurring somewhere between 38 and 42 a month, both, uh, childcare customers and some legacy local customers that I had as I started. Awesome. I, I started this business in, uh, well, online marketing in 2009, went into childcare in 2011. Okay. Was when I focused. Awesome. So, so grew to about um, forty-two thousand dollars per month in, in recurring revenue. Um, one of your big lessons, it sounds like, was you had a lot of those lower-ticket clients, and kind of upping that to a higher threshold, making your life easier. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that more as we go. But so, just tell us how you decided on that local childcare niche, and kind of what drew you to that market. Well, I just. Um, at that time in my history, I was, um, you know, studying Kevin Wilkie, Jody Underhill, Roland Frazier, and a lot of the conversation was around a niche. And this is early in the conversation about niches, because I can remember going and attending two different conferences where I got up on stage and I was the only guy in the room, like a hundred people, 150 people. I'm the only guy in the room doing a niche. Mm. So that's changed a bit along the way, but I built out a, a list based on the influences in my life. So like Dan Kennedy says, you know, you need to be able to tell where they flock together, you know, so that's the national association. So I set a criteria of what I wanted was something that had at least two national associations that I could attend their trade show or conference. Um, I wanted, for myself, I wanted a niche where the customer's customer paid them either weekly or monthly. And so then my sending them a bill monthly should not be a big deal. Mm. So I know you, Josh, you're in plumbing and you have to focus more on the lifetime value of a customer versus, hey, you're gonna get $800 a month for the next 22 months if you get this child in the door today. You know, where you may, a plumber may use you five times over 10 years and each one's, you know, $1,000 undertaking. So that's still a good customer. Just a different approach that I use for selecting the niche. And then I just went down some other criteria. It had to be fun to work with, 
typically not a suit and tie crowd. Okay. So I wasn't looking for suit and tie. So I wasn't really attracted to doctors or lawyers or dentists. And part of that is my background. Prior to starting my agency, I owned a, a landscape company with over 100 employees and about $5 million a year run rate. So, you know, that um, I was just more comfortable around the service guys or, again, guys and gals without necessarily suit and tie. I also wanted a major, um, at least one major consultant in the industry that could send uh, me referrals if if they so desired. And so I was lucky enough to, my very first show in 2011, I showed for Chris Murray, who's the big name in the childcare space. And that was her very first conference. She had about 55 people at the conference. I was the only vendor, just to give you perspective, and I sold 10 websites at that show out of 55 people. Nice. Everybody came up to the table and said, can you buy, can you build childcare websites? And I had just a simple binder and I had 10 websites. We actually went out and built out 10 demo sites. So nobody asked me who my customer was. They all asked if I could build that type of website. So I could demonstrate that right in front of them. So that's uh, kind of how I got into the niche. And um, the phone call came in uh, actually September from Chris Murray and said, hey, you want to show up my little show here? And I'm like, I don't even have a website built yet. <laughs> so in five weeks, we built out a website. We built out the 10 demo sites, um, you know, added a ton of content. So it looked like my website had been around for a couple of years. And, and that was really what propelled us out the door. That's awesome. And so kind of some cool things that you've done that, you know, a lot of, a lot of you guys, especially if you're in this process a little bit earlier, would be, Make a list that's customized to you, right? He talked about things that were, were unique to him, and that's some of the reasons he chose chose that niche. And then, of course, getting in with that consultant in the industry, I was talking about joining the associations, finding opportunities to speak, but there's also influencers in each of these niches. So if you can align yourself with one of those and they have their little breakout events, that was kind of what propelled Jeff to his first handful handful of clients in the niche. So, you know, t- tell us a little bit about the service offering. Like, what were you actually doing for these local child care centers? So, full service uh, online marketing. So, everywhere from build their website to uh, doing directory listings, doing uh, backlinking, uh, what we call local authority, which was writing a couple blog posts a month. And then not just hanging up the blog posts, but then actually distributing them out. So they had some value and created a certain amount of backlinks. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm forgetting some reputation monitoring, um, some reputation marketing that never really has taken off for me. But um, yeah, just pretty much you ask it. And if it's within the realm of online marketing, we'll consider it. Uh, but intentionally kind of focusing on also the customer that's not going to be needing a weekly call or you know a lot of hand holding as far as strategy and things like that so kind of twice a year we talk about strategy um at the most some of these customers i mean i just met a customer today that we've had for three years that up to this point i had not ever spoke to so nice you know again that's the that's the beauty of having a you know a system a process and and a team Absolutely. You know, so, yeah, that was good. So digital marketing, and I know that your model changed kind of towards the end. Was What was it? Was it a monthly package fee or kind of what? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, moved more towards packages here towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, have been always kind of a la carte. Um, and uh, with the merger with Michael, that's still some of the stuff that we're sorting out is what are our packages and, and what needs to be a la carte, especially in the childcare niche. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we find is um, 650 to $950, um, you can pretty easily sell in the childcare niche. As soon as you get up in the $1,500, it's more of a struggle. Not to say that can't be done, but I was just really starting to get my legs under me when I decided to, to sell the business. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the things I updated in this, this iteration of the course is, is I always used to say a 1,000 minimum. I, I do believe there are certain niches that lend themselves 
to more like a 750 price range. And so that's why I've, I've said, you know, just make the minimum 750 on your on your monthly recurring revenue. So absolutely, I think that's important to to remember that. And again, if you're going after an attorney, you better be getting thirty five hundred dollars a month or something. Right. So talk to us a little bit about how you landed your first couple of clients. And you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, you went to a hundred clients and now you sold the agency, but some of the the most important traction happens at the beginning. I think you alluded to this with your your partnership with Chris Murray, but. Just talk to us about those first five clients and how you got them. Well, I'm going to talk out of the niche first. Okay. So I'm going to talk about when I first started my agency. Mm-hmm. So I went to um, a Dan Kennedy event, and I purchased at that time Mike Keenick's, uh Firepower ah. video course. That's how I got started. Now, Josh is remembering that because we also had a common teacher back with, uh, what's the crazy man? can't think of his name that taught us all the nuts and bolts scott scott gallagher, gallagher. i don't want to say his name because i don't think he's crazy and i don't want him to hear this and say you know think i called no him no it's a positive <laughs> i love scott it's it's just it was at that time it just he had a mind map that just so blew me away and i was like i'll never get to that i mean i was just absolutely convinced i would never get to that level of detail and i'm there today so coming out of that event i came back and this is really how i started my agency is I knew quite a few guys from my landscaping days. I approached five guys and asked them for $500 a month, and I would take over their online marketing for them, and they could keep that price, and anything I learned, I would give to them along the way. So they were really the starting point of how a different way of how I funded to get the agency going. And then after that, when I met Chris Murray, of course, I said I sold the 10 childcare centers and then after that, it was the follow-up from the trade show that really got me propelled up to probably about 25 customers working that pretty much exclusively. At that time, Chris was also willing to give out her um, attendee list, which she mm. no longer does. So sure. I also knew who was attending. So the 2011-2012, I was on the stage 10 minutes in 2011. In 2012, I spoke on her stage for an hour on online marketing. So pretty much that was really where it kind of started to launch. And so most of the customers, you know, if I look back over time, came out of out of the trade shows. Okay. you know, in the the follow up to the trade shows. Um, At that time, I didn't have a list or anything. I really just started focusing on a list about two years ago in you know building it out and really when i started with seven figure agency was when i really got myself committed to buying a list and then really working that list Mm. in the sense of you know again people i love to study dan kennedy says your list should consist of five different lists merged together right you know and just because you bought a usa info usa list or whatever that's only the starting point you Mm -hmm. know if get you, the info USA list, get the consultant list, get the agency list. I mean the uh, association list, and kind of merge, yep. purge that. Merge all that together, and in my case, I also found a vendor that sells lists specifically in the education niche, and so their numbers, interestingly enough, they don't track by revenue; they track by number of children authorized in a center. So once I knew that. I found my sweet spot that I wanted to grow the business in was childcare centers with 150 children or more or l- multiple locations. Excellent. So I guess one thing I'll say, and this is this is awesome. You know, the more of these interviews we do, the more we see different contexts, and everybody feels like to get the first five clients, you have to cold call, and and sometimes that's what you have to do. But in Jeff's case, he he strategically aligned himself with somebody in the niche he was targeting that had a, a lot of influence and he was able to speak on their stage and be at their at their show and that's where and that's where those first five plus clients came from and so you know there's different ways to to get some momentum behind yourself um, I'm not suggesting that you just say okay I'm not going to do anything until I get that because that boat may never come but I'm of the opinion you want to go at it from a couple different angles right do the calling. That way you know you're creating opportunity. 
join the association. That way you can get in front of people. Look for opportunities, strategic alliances like that, where you can, at one event, get lots of clients. So awesome. Thank you very much for sharing that with us, Jeff. Well, and so to, to speak a little more to that, I couldn't call cold call for my life. <laughs> you know, I, it's just something I am not able to do. Most people that know me pretty well, I'm pretty big guy and pretty stoic. So I really struggle with getting them excited. So I learned early on, if I could get any slight way that I had an excuse to call them, I was fine from there. So, you know, if I could pick up the phone and say, hey, I was speaking to Chris Murray and, and she said, you might need some help with your website, then I was fine. But just a cold call. But so what that did for me, and I just want to say this for everybody else, I immediately knew starting this, I had to find other means. Mm. I wasn't sitting around lying to myself that I was going to become a great cold caller because I had tried that many times in my landscape business and never was good at it. So I've hired, you know, appointment setters along the way, had some success with that. But again, drop, you know, direct mail, all the different things that you would do if you're not comfortable cold calling. Yeah. And for some people it's just getting, you know, getting used to it. And some are chickens like me. <laughs> yeah, so so just another another powerful approach. Maybe another tool in your tool bag if I'll say you're already getting some success via cold calling um, or you've got a successful agency, you know, maybe look for that influencer that does a conference, uh, has meetings, has a mastermind group underneath them in your space that you can align with because you know, you can really accelerate your client growth. So great tip. Thanks for sharing that, Jeff. So towards the end, um, you know, as you as you grew the agency, what kind of strategies were you using to, to generate client client leads and, of course, new clients on a consistent basis? Well, the best thing that happened to me is when I joined the agency and the first thing Josh says is webinars. Mm. And I had been talking about webinars. I had done one webinar in, I don't know, eight years, just for perspective. Mm -hmm. And in 2017, I did seven, I think it was seven webinars. And I just followed uh, the guidelines right out of the, the course and did my first webinar. And I had, I don't know, three people show up. And my biggest attendance in all seven was like nine. Okay, so never had great attendance, but here's what I want to tell you. Each of those webinars generated at least two customers. Nice. So typically I would get one customer that was on the webinar, and then I would get one that had seen the replay. Because, again, Josh, your little list of all the things I'm supposed to do, chop it up, put it out there. We were doing all those steps, so mm -hmm. we would get one, one off a replay. So I'm sitting there looking at, again, a typical customer is going to generate somewhere. I mean, we have customers that have been with us 65 months paying wow. us $500 a month. Okay. So there's pretty good upside value, but at least 15 to $25,000 come, you know, lifetime value came out of each of those individual customers. So take that times two. And I would attribute it that over the long term of creating anywhere from 25 to 50 grand per webinar. Wow. And so just to kind of, you know, drill down on that, because I, I haven't gotten to that in this, at this section in the, um, in the updated training on the seven-figure agency blueprint, but ultimately, you know, as you do this, right, as you join the associations, as you um, do your direct mail, as you put out your lead magnets, you're going to start to, to, to de develop a list of prospects in your space. And if you follow the model, I suggest create your main keynote presentation, and that will get you so far. But really, the best way to be relevant, to be timely, to be putting out new information to that list is to do webinars on a very consistent basis. And so I'm doing, I try and do a webinar a month, and usually it, it winds up being like seven to eight webinars throughout the course of the year. And the reason you do the webinar, first of all, you get an opportunity to send an email blast to the list. Hey, I've got a webinar coming up, right? Then you've got a, a reason to have some people live with you. Like Jeff said, he would close someone from the live event almost every time. You've got a reason to email the list after the webinar. Hey, you missed it, or in case you want to watch the replay, here's the link. And then you've got great content that you can load up on your blog, load up on social media, load up on Facebook, and that lives in perpetuity on the internet as an inbound lead generator for you. So, I mean, I can't say enough about the power of ongoing fresh content and the, you know, the leveraging of, of webinars. 
And so that's one of the key benefits you have in this program is I give you my pre-done webinars, right? I give you the slides, I give you the emails I use to invite people, I share the, the social media ads that I've used. And so, you know, for Jeff, that was a big lever for him that you can use as well. Just build your list and then follow the model, you know, create webinars. And I'm sorry I went on a tangent, I'm not trying to take over your, um, your interview, but I, I'm really passionate about that topic and I'm glad that you had such good results with it. Well, that's, uh, I'm glad you spoke up because that is, I mean, that, that was a big turning point for me because from that, I also then started doing just weekly, I, I get, you know, five or six people, just like probably everybody that does good educational stuff online. And so every week I would take in Bernadette Coleman would be one example. She sends out a weekly thing. I would read through the things that I'm interested in. I, my constant question was always, how can I tell my customer the impact of this change, whatever the you know algorithm update or mm -hmm. whatever it was? And so I got down to my goal was a, a three-minute um, email blast. So very simply, here's what's happened. Here's how it affects you. And if you want to read more, go out and read more. And I didn't even worry about the fact that I was taking them over to Bernadette stuff. I just wanted to give them for most people they're not going to click the link at the bottom that says tell me more anyway i want to tell them why this is important to them why they should be asking their webmaster about this you know what's the impact now from google going to 160 characters to 320 characters in the metadata mm -hmm. you know your billboard just got twice the size on the side of the road yeah so are you are you going to take advantage of it? how are you going to take advantage of it and so it's, so it's all around creating that expert status so right and then, yeah, so, and then the other big thing that I did is I I knew a young lady. She actually works as, she is one of my customers. Um, she's the marketing director for a child care center. And I approached her to come on board to be an intern. And she was working for $12 an hour, uh, 15 to 20 hours worth of every week. And her whole job was to take it from the time I got done with the recording. She would grab it. She would chop it up. She would add the intro, the outro, send it off in Fiverr, get it transcribed, you know, all the steps in the process. So three weeks after the webinar, they're done versus still in Jeff's to-do list. Right. So, so, and so that was huge. So you, you, you just took the whole process instead of making yourself the bottleneck because there are a lot of steps to, to really syndicate the content the way I suggest you do it. And you found this intern and did you, she was paid something, correct? Or... Yeah, 12 bucks an hour. Okay. And she's happy. She's got some additional spending money. You're happy because it's getting done and it's generating all of that social credibility and inbound lead opportunity for you. Yeah, and the way we did it in the first month is we got as much done as we could in the three weeks while I was training her. And it wasn't quite complete. And then we did the site. Actually, I think I was a month behind when we started. But we just kept coming back and fixing what we hadn't done right for January or what we hadn't done right for February so that we would blanket that content out there. And so by the time we got done with this, I think it was the seventh webinar, they were all out there, all broken down, uh, including um, podcasts. Nice. Uh, I never thought I'd do a podcast in my life. Yep. And uh, so, and yeah. You really, a and lot you of did, stuff. but you didn't, right? You didn't sit down and say, okay, today's podcast is whatever. You took your webinar and you loaded up on iTunes and there you've got your podcast. Oh, absolutely. But the other thing I want to say is, without your providing the slides, it would have never happened. Mm. Quite honestly, it never would have happened. Because I just found, you know, the very first one, I, you sent in the slides, I added the images that need to be changed out. Again, I sent it for like 15 bucks over to somebody on Fiverr, they made it look sweet. And off, off we went, and we had the first webinar. And all of that still took me like, the first time, like four or five hours. Yeah. You know, to to practice it and get it, you know, the cadence and all the stuff. And so uh, if I'd had to start out, here's a PowerPoint slide that's blank, uh, I probably would have never got it done. Right. First of all, come up with the topic, come up with what the bullet oh, yeah. points are, fill in the presentation. So so good, that that helps. And for those of you guys that, that are, are, you know, wanting to do more of this stuff, I'm going to have a, a specific section in the members area on how to fully leverage these webinars. So right now the content is there. I'm going to be filling it in with the how-to and really how to syndicate 
which is not up yet. So, all right, awesome stuff. So you joined the, you, you created the strategic alliance. You started doing some webinars for syndicating those. Was that pretty much where the leads came from? Was there any other marketing strategies you were using? Uh, we were, again, we were doing uh, cold, some cold email, um, webinars, trade shows. That, that really was the top of what we were doing. Of course, you know, all the basic SEO stuff as well. So we were, rank, you know, we are ranking today fairly mm -hmm. well in the niche and stuff. Uh, and then just, yeah, working to put out expert status. Good, good stuff. So I think we already answered this, but where did most of the clients come from on a month-to-month on a -month basis? The associations. Okay. Either, direct, again, direct or indirect of the associations prior to 2017, webinars 2017. Good, good. So what I would say, and, and you know, this is going to be a common theme pretty much in all of these webinars. I'm, I'm a big advocate for it. There's, there's ways to generate clients, right? And the, the most basic way is to cold call, but then the, the best way is to have inbound leads and opportunities like that. And so the way you do that is by getting involved in the association, putting out great content, leveraging lead magnets, you know, doing direct mail at some level. And so, you know, Jeff is sharing with you his, his blueprint and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty on point, right? Go join the association, get involved in their groups, and then put out relevant information that makes them think of you as the expert and come to you pre-positioned to, to buy. So, so now to the topic everybody's really interested and really excited about. This has really been popular in the, in the group and, and, and in, the, in the chat on things, which is fulfillment, right? So now you've got, you've got this $42,000 a month in recurring revenue. You've got these hundreds of clients. How do, you, how do you get all the work done? And like, what was your model for, for fulfilling for clients? Well, we're, we were before the sale 100% virtual and we still are today at No Choke Marketing. So that is our mission or a piece of our mission is retaining the, the virtual status of the organization. Mm. Um, for myself, I primarily used um, Upwork I found that as a, you know, again, a one owner type business, it was great to have the resource of just go there. Yes, you do pay more money on occasion, but I didn't have to go out and do a lot of recruiting per se. A lot of the uh, information was already up to date about the people, what they were willing to do, capable of doing. And so Upwork was my go-to place. Now that's not to say I hadn't tried other locations and then the other one was um, local you know local meaning anywhere in the united states because my goal has always been is typically three to four overseas people for every one person in the u.s because somebody has to talk to the customer somebody has to understand our you know our culture and catch the nuances and you know everything from websites to content writing um, you can get some great people. I've had people and still do Russia, Zimbabwe, Philippines, India, Bangladesh, you know, so that that's the team. Uh, now we have um, some from Serbia as well. So kind of all over and then looking at time zones, you know, how do you cover? We're right now covering about, I think, 16 hours of the 24 hour day. Somebody's working on the team somewhere. So a couple so, a couple drill down questions on this. So a lot of the a lot of the employees from Upwork, um, obviously that's there's this infinite supply of workers, but it's kind of a crapshoot at some level. You know, you hire somebody, they they're terrible, they don't show up, they don't complete the job. Uh, these are the challenges Dean and I never really actually figured out. Right? That's why we have a, a full team in the United States at our office in Miami. Um, so how do you how do you get around that? How do you find the good quality workers? Well, in your application process on Upwork, you know, you specifically ask them to list like their, you know, top three strengths or weak points. But the other big things are looking for simple things like um, my applications always say, please address this to dear Sadie May. You know, so that's my cat. Um, but uh, and I clearly say in there as well, you know, if you don't correctly address this, you won't be considered. And about half of them are, are self-selecting. 
you know, they just don't get considered because they don't read the instructions. And if they can't read the instructions at that point, what do you expect from them when you let them loose? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, again, perspective. I mean, today's a work day. I've talked to the team less than 40 minutes out of the day, and it's about half of my day or more. Hmm. So there's a, you know, there's 17 or 18 people out there working away. Yeah, there's managers in between, you know, and supervisors, but most of them are just working. And then it's just, um, as I said in the other webinar that I did for you about a year ago, I guess it was. Which I'll link to you guys in the in the Facebook group. I'll link to that because he really outlines his entire offshore model and how he how he manages the people on Upwork. Yeah, and so the big thing though is you got to treat you got to treat your. They might be freelancers from the way you pay them, but you have to treat them like a team, and you have to make sure that you know when the first the new person first comes on board, for example, everybody on the team has to make twenty minutes and reach out to that person and introduce themselves, tell them stuff that's not about the business. You know, where did I grow up? What do I like to do? All of those kinds of things. So we start building the team culture at that point. We make sure that we have what I refer to as water cooler moments because in Josh's office, and I've been there a couple times, (laughs) you can meet over the water cooler and you can chat about things. Well, you don't have that in a virtual team, so you have to stimulate that kind of spontaneous conversation, which is where you usually find out some of the most interesting things about your company. Mm-hmm. When somebody blurts something out over the water cooler that you had no idea was happening, so right. work so at I, you know work at that as well. How do you create those water cooler moments in a virtual environment? Just you know being willing to stop everything you're doing when the, there's a you know you start listening for the signal, if you will. Your your team member maybe makes a little snarky comment or something, and you're like, you know what's going on and how's your day and. So we use Zoom exclusively now, and so you just get them on Zoom and, and chat with them. Um, turn on those, you know, the cameras so you can look each other in the eye, just, to, just as if you were in the conference room together. And and then I task also and require the management team to do that as well, and let me know when they do it, so I'm making sure that enough of that is happening. And of course, no different than in the U.S. Um, you know, every country has their sport or event. So as those happen, if you're paying attention um, and bringing those little, you know, mentions into the group meetings that you have, that helps. I mean, we have a huddle or whatever you want to call it every day. Ours today is a little different than when we did it before because we're a bigger organization today. In the past, it was just four days a week, 15 minutes, the project manager, the senior project manager runs the huddle. I participate, but I don't run the huddle. Because mm. what I'm doing is I'm listening for all of what I call the tells. So, you know, when somebody says something to the effect that I've been trying to get access to this domain for three weeks, instead of that just passing by, I'm, I'm making that note to then offline, I'll get together with them and see what the obstacle is and try to help them overcome it. Mm. So that I mean that's that's pretty interesting. You said a couple of things here that are pretty powerful. With the with the use of Zoom.us or the same platform we're on right now, um, you can have the entire team from Bangladesh and wherever else, India, all come together and have a daily huddle. That way, despite the fact that you're all virtual, they're all working, they're all responsible to sit down in front of the, the, the screen and kind of tell tell you what's going on, what they're focused on for the day. Yeah, so on Mondays, so I'll tell you what we do now because I think it's an interesting evolution. So Mondays is the whole team. So we have 20 people, and we use a concept that I've promoted for a lot of years. What are your three big things you're working on today, and what are your three little things that you're working on, which can be as simple as I need to send an email to get that logo so the team can work. And, and so on Mondays, everybody talks about their number one thing they're trying to accomplish for the day, this is the whole team and then in this last 30 minutes and then the last half typically about 15 minutes is training so can be anywhere from teamwork training to corporate philosophy training you know Mm -hmm. what do we mean by this particular core value you know Josh I know you guys have a lot of meetings but how frequently do you actually pull out one of your core values and and talk it through for five minutes so 
that's you know that's Monday. Then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have a 15-minute leadership meeting that's about five people. And then we jump out of that immediately. We're still using Zoom. We jump out of that. And then the, the web dev team goes into their own huddle, if you will. And the marketing team goes into their own huddle. And then finally, we wrap it up on Fridays with the team's only huddle. So there's no leadership meeting because they're talking on Fridays about you know, what did we accomplish this week? What are we trying to get done next week? What did we, you know, what fell through the cracks that we need to recover yet today on Friday? Because again, you know, when you promised it this week, you still have over half a day to get it, that promise kept if possible. So, so I mean, it, it, very interesting stuff. Um, one of the things you, you explained to me in the past, I think would be useful to the others, is the distinction between um, freelance type people and Despite being, um, you know, not W two employees, still, um, you know, still full time members of your team. Can you kind of talk through that distinction? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I see that, you know, have had experience with is if you're, if you're speaking to quote unquote a freelancer, um, like you would necessarily talk to a subcontractor, which is again, remember somebody that you're employing that then has multiple people under them. They're not necessarily looking to become part of your culture, but if you're talking to a person working out of their home in whatever country they are, they're trying to connect to you. And and so if you wake up every morning and think of them as just a guy that does whatever for you, um, you're missing that huge commitment. And so just by, I don't care how they get paid. You know, some get W-2s, some get through Upwork, some get paid direct. It really doesn't matter to me everybody's on the team. They're always called team members. They're always referred to being on the team. And um, one of the things that I always say is, you know, their responsibility and mine every day is to help the other team members be successful. And that's a huge thing because as soon as somebody starts whining or sniveling about, hey, my teammate isn't doing this or that, my first question always is, did you talk to him about it? Yeah. You know, because we have cultural differences, we have language differences. Um, and the biggest thing, as we all know, if you're honest with yourself, is most employees fail because you didn't train them correctly. Right. It isn't, you know, they were excited. They showed up for a job interview. They sat through whatever crazy process you had to employ them. So you have to believe you hired the right person. Now you just got to make sure they can be successful. So You train them right. I like that. So everybody's responsibility is to help the other team members be successful. And as long as you keep yeah. that at the fore as a member of my team, you know, everyone's going to succeed. Yeah. And you know, there's some that again will self select out cause they don't want to be on a team or they don't like the you know hours a day. So we have an overlap every day that everybody on the team has to work. So they all have to be available um, 10 Eastern, I got to do the math here because I'm now always thinking in Eastern to two Eastern. Okay. So there's a four hour window that I don't care where you live in the world that overlaps. We have our meetings. That's where we do the majority of our work. Some of them are finishing their shift during that period of time and others are just starting their shift. It doesn't really matter. So how do you, how do you make that distinction with someone on Upwork? So, I'm, th I'm just getting started. I'm trying to think, okay, I need, I need someone to help me with a website or I need someone to do some SEO for me. Um, you kind of, your mind goes straight to, I need to hire a, a freelancer. I need to hire a company that can do this for me. There's a, there's a big distinction between that and somebody I'm hiring off Upwork to be my full-time employee that is paid through Upwork. Well, you know, when you're first smaller, obviously you're, you're hiring that guy to do that one website you need or whatever the case is. So you're not at that point looking to build the team. Right. But I can tell you the first 10 websites we built in childcare, that gentleman is with us still today and is our lead technician in building websites and design and, and everything. So once I hired him the first time, the next website I need, I went back to him. I didn't reshop it. I was happy with his quality. Could I have maybe gotten a dollar cheaper? Yeah. I mean, all those things are possible, but that's the beginning. And then, you know, six months into it, if I brought somebody new on board, I could say, hey, meet with Amon and talk to Amon how we're going to develop websites because he is the lead guy. And so, 
just never worry about how I pay them. Awesome. So, so for I mean, if you kind of look at this as an evolution, you do go on Upwork. You find a couple freelancers. You give them projects. You pay them. If they do good, you try and use them again and again until you're ready for them to be full time. How do you make that that transition from hey, I'm paying you piecemeal to hey, would you be interested in being a full time member of my team, fully dedicated to to my agency? Just have a conversation because pretty much the ones you're looking for, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a continuous amount of revenue. So, and be aware, you know, if they go on to Upwork and the person says that they, you know, their hourly rate is $15 an hour, they're factoring in the fact that they're maybe only working 10 hours a week and they're getting $15 and they'll, you know, that supports their lifestyle wherever they may live. So it's nothing wrong with approaching them and saying, you know, hey, if I could give you consistently 20 hours a week or 25 hours a week, um, you know, will you work for 11 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour? Because at the end of the day, we all have the same issue. We got to bring enough, and this is my landscape days, we have to bring enough home to mama to feed the family and pay the bills. Yeah. You know, and some people get really focused around their hourly rate, but the ones you want are the ones that are focused on what do they need for a week to pay their bills and keep them happy, you know? Yeah. And they're out there, you know, and you just start accumulating them, and then that's what makes it fun. By the time you have your third or fourth one, your team is selling you mm. to them. Right. You need to be part of this. This is a great company. You know, we have being yeah, exactly. all of that fun stuff. So the other important distinction that you, you talked about is, so for web design, I'm sure um, – some SEO stuff, citations. You have this Upwork team that, that could be anywhere because language barrier isn't an issue. But when it comes to client relationship management and being able to, to be the project coordinator for, per se, um, it sounds like that's someone you hire virtually but in the United States. Is that right? right. Yeah. Is that someone you'd yeah. still find on Upwork or would that maybe be something you put out an ad and do a traditional hire process for? Um, about 50-50. I've hired both off of Upwork and um, and Upwork has changed just recently that you can actually check the box that says you'll only accept U.S.-based freelancers. Okay. And that's changed things pretty dramatically because in the past, even though if you said in the subject line U.S.-based only, you'd still have the majority of your applicants from overseas. And so you get back to, uh, you know, the little tricks of the game. So if you're trying to hire in the U.S., one of the stipulations is you must be able to, on a daily basis, go to a U.S. post box and drop off letters. And so when they say, well, I'm in Bangladesh, and you're like, so where's the mailbox? You know, well, they have no ability to mail in the U.S. So they, right. again, immediately eliminate themselves. Plus, a lot of people just don't apply because they get it, you know. Right. And, of course, they never have to do that, but those are little some tidbits along the way here. But So, I mean, one of my, my hang-ups on this would be, and kind of walk me through it, would be, is it not the case if somebody's on Upwork, they're really looking for one-off projects, they're not necessarily looking for, state, especially a United States person, like if I live in Plainfield, Illinois, and I'm on Upwork, I would think that's probably because I'm looking just for some side work. Have you found that not to be the case? Well, some are, but uh, you got to remember there's a big shift in the whole 40-hour one-employer kind of concept. Mm -hmm. And you'll see a lot of millennials are perfectly fine working 28 hours for one person and picking up another job where they're working another 12 to 20 hours for a second company, either related to the industry or totally unrelated. So uh, a lot of what I see initially, so my last – uh, marketing manager out of Houston uh, that's exactly he was on Upwork just trying to find odd jobs because he had another job but then that job was at a point where he either had to commit more or step away and he chose to step away to me and so he came on and at the time he was working 45 hours a week exclusively wow. so they're out there but I'm going to say the, you know it's all how they came into it I mean, because the other thing is, if you have, if you want to use Upwork as your payment platform, you can actually bring your own employees into that uh, platform, and they get special discount pricing and stuff. So 
Okay. So it's pretty versatile, but yeah, you can find U.S. based, overseas based. So the base of your the base of your team would be coming through Upwork, um, paid through Upwork. Is there any secret sauce to tracking? Because that's another hang up of mine with with virtual team. So here in my office, I can walk into the ops team and look at my guys and know what they're up to and kind of have a sense of productivity with a virtual team. For, I mean, for all I know, they're sitting they're sitting at their computer doing anything, not necessarily doing work. Um, so how do you track that with 20 people all kind of scattered all over the country? Well, um, Upwork has their own built-in technology for that, screenshot every six minutes or something like that. And if you're not going through Upwork, I would recommend Time Doctor. Okay. But there's, there's other programs. But, you know, the bottom line is they – um, we just shifted to Time Doctor because it integrates with Teamwork, which is our project manager. Mm. So a big thing for 2018 and beyond is uh, no joke is working to actually job cost. You know, so we want to know down to the you know 15 minutes how long do these customers uh, take of our time and which ones are profitable and which ones need to go away. And you know we kind of haphazardly guess at that right now, but I want to know what I'm getting paid by a customer and if they're worth, you know, our time and energy because we're getting paid well enough for, from them. Sure. So there's not that. and then, But, you know, at the end of the day, Josh, it, it really always comes down to trust. Yeah. You know, because um, every one of my team members, I gave them up to 30% of the time they could work off, off the meter because there's nothing worse than trying to sit there and um, you know, let's say you're writing and you like to hand write versus type on a screen. If you're my writer, in every six minutes you got to reach over and click the mouse so that you know it's registering the time that you're working. Right. You know, so it's coming up with that balance. It's also coming up with, you know, hey, it's Saturday afternoon. You're on your phone. You're the only guy that can help me out. Thank you very much. You you share again on this little mobile device and I'm not stressing about that. You didn't turn on the Upwork timer first, you know, you, you manually put in an hour and that's fine. You know? So, and, and it's, it's no different. I had an office like what you have. Mm -hmm. You pretty much know when people are producing, when they're not, when they're on the team, uh, you know, are they asking the right questions, intelligent questions? Um, you know, there's nothing I hate worse than people bluffing their way through what they know. Right. Because we, I don't care if they're inside four walls or across the world, you have no idea what they have in their head, what they may have done in a previous career and how that might help your company. But nothing worse than saying, oh, I'm an expert at SEO. And within a day, you know, they're a junior SEO tech at best, you know. Right. Doesn't take very long to figure it out. Awesome. Well, I mean, great stuff. Any other you know critical insights on the topic of managing, building a, a virtual a virtual team? No, it's not as hard as as you think. Um, and then you have to keep evolving with it. Yeah, but it's really making, uh, my opinion, you make that commitment. You're either going to go virtual, or you're going to go four walls, um, and get really good at one or the other. Because the problem is if you have two or three virtual people and the rest are inside, it's a real struggle because you forget about them. Then they reach out to you and say, when's the meeting starting? And you're like, well, the meeting was over 30 minutes ago. <laughs> and they're like, well, how come you didn't ping me? And, you know, it just gets really bizarre because um, so even when we had an office two and a half years ago, everybody had to go into their office to talk just like everybody was virtual. We simulated virtual. Mm. Because there's nothing worse than a conference room. Two people are looking at, they're seeing body language and all the things that go with it. And then you bring the third person in and you can't see him at all. And he can't see you. And he can't see the big frown on your face or the smirk or whatever's, you know, telling this is sarcasm or whatever it may be. Excellent. All right. Well, I mean, some great, great tips there on how to, how to build a virtual team. Again, there's a video Jeff did about a year ago, I think now. But he really just outlined his entire model, how he hires, how he retains, how he keeps people engaged. So make sure you check that out if you want to hear more um, insights on this particular topic 
and or of course this conversation continues inside the Facebook group and if you have follow-up questions for Jeff he's he's an active moderator in the group and so he's he's there to help you out and answer some of those questions so now to the next really sexy topic which is you accomplished the entire um, entrepreneur life cycle which most most people dream of right to, to build an agency have it become an asset that has some value and then actually sell it off to, to somebody else so talk to us about how that worked and how you made that happen well it's kind of funny because I was flying to Miami back on uh, November 7th last year and I'm like I'm struggling you know just one of those I'm trapped in my own little box of my own creation and I need to do something different and as I was flying I live in Reno and as I was flying over I'm like yeah I need a business partner I need to sell this thing and there's a whole long story to that I had a business partner a couple of years ago and stuff that I'll gladly talk to anybody about that wants to but anyway so thought about it on the 8th which is my day I was always hanging out a day before going into the mastermind and when I got into the mastermind I specifically asked Josh if I could go last in presenting my hot seat because I think I said to him I think I'm gonna present something that nobody else is gonna present today and so I sit up and said I either need a partner I want to sell and the team helped me kind of walk through it what that would mean what that would look like um, and the next day Michael Tasner and I met for lunch and he expressed an interest and that was the what 10th of November and we had the deal signed by Thanksgiving and we were merging together or we started merging the week after Thanksgiving so yeah. 22 days or some crazy thing like that. that and that's awesome it's also kind of speaks to the power of mastermind or of being around other like-minded successful people you have access to opportunities that you might not have had as easily access to otherwise absolutely yeah I, I could not imagine how to go out even though the group shared with me ways to present that you're available for sale I just could not even imagine having to do that mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting when I sold my landscape business back in 2006 I found a local competitor and sold to them as well so mm. it was a method that I was familiar with sure so any any specifics that you can share on how to set your company up so that it has maximum valuation or any lessons that it might have served you better had you known in retrospect well you know I obviously wasn't planning to sell so I didn't do a whole lot of setting up per se but you know I kind of entered this when I started the agency with you know that I got to get systems and processes in place I know that's gonna be the value in your business is your systems and processes because the reality is um, you know take a two-week vacation and if you're touching base with your office even even every other day you're not ready to sell yet because you need to be able to stand up and walk away and it can be done because I sold my five million dollar landscape business I spent 18 days in the office and never talked to them again hmm. but I had the systems processes managers in place you know all of those things now I didn't get quite that far with this and and some may ask why the other so part of the problem is I have some physical health issues so it's just been doing it on my own has been more of a struggle than I could handle mm -hmm. physically so it was just time you know it was time for me to look at a different way but yeah identify the value figure out EBITDA is usually the the best formula out there you can read about it pretty much anywhere uh, and it, you can calculate it right off your profit and loss statement and so figure out you know what you're worth and um, I I forget what the number but I think I got about three and a half times EBITDA nice which I was satisfied with based on where I was at and then I agreed to come over and, and spend at least a year with Michael making sure everything was up running in place merging the companies together the you know processes and systems um, because obviously I want to see Michael be successful going forward and it's in some ways a nice little break for me because I'm not responsible for every single crazy thing in the agency right 
you know, the paychecks are now happening without me being involved and the counting's happening. And so it's just a, a nice little break. But, um, yeah, have, make sure your systems are in place. Have some kind of way that you're generating new revenue streams so you have some kind of incremental growth going on. Uh, you know, if you're showing up with an agency that's been flat for the last three years, um, you know, what are they gonna what are they gonna think about you, your value, and your ability, you know, to provide them a great new opportunity? Mm-hmm. But also remember, for almost everybody, every experience that I've ever had doing sales myself or or participating as a business coach, everybody that buys buys one of the major reasons is they see a way that they can do it better than you're doing. Whether that's they can get cheaper insurance payments or you know, they can merging these two uh, web dev teams together, we can eliminate three people and we're gonna see opportunity there. Or I have a better marketing and sales system that will complement the, you know, the organization of the fulfillment team. So just always remember that what's, try to understand what their opportunities are gonna be and go after an agency that you know can fill in where you might be weak. Mm-hmm. You know, two great production companies are going to struggle to merge together. A great sales company merging with a production company is going to be a much better benefit for everybody. Right. So look for that opportunity where your your company would be more useful because they need that. Like if you're great at sales and you find a company that's great at execution, then they might pay a little higher because they know they can sell it and plug into your fulfillment model. Absolutely. So I'm going to use your business as an example. If I were a plumbing and HVAC agency and I was small, let's say I'm about $400,000, I would start to get to know you, whether through the mastermind or whatever, and I would figure out, you know, an open conversation, how you kind of have your organization, and then I'd be looking to model similar things so that, you know, five years from now when I knock on the door and say, hey, Josh, I want you to buy me, you're like, that'll bolt right in here. I can see mm-hmm. it already. Right. And and I'm not the only guy that talks about that. You know, look out there, find two or three entities that you respect and think might purchase you and then do some of the stuff in the background similar to them. Yeah. Good good tips on that front. So kind of moving moving to the next topic, you know, you've sold bought and sold two companies um, you know, you're, you're obviously really well-versed in operations and, and virtual teams. What, what books, training programs have really had the biggest impact on your success? Well, I've been through the strategic coach for nine years, so that was, that was good in learning how to manage my time as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I'd wow. say that had a huge, huge impact on me through the years. And that's actually one of the big things I'm looking forward to because, again, as a sole owner, it's kind of hard to implement a lot of that stuff, but I actually can implement that. Um, just constantly reading, doing a lot more video today. Um, the Mastermind, when I walked into the Mastermind in 2016 and signed up, I made a 12-month commitment to the only thing I was going to study was things that the Mastermind produced or referred. And so the different um, Chet Holmes books that you've recommended along mm-hmm. the way as well as the course and other resources that you know I may recognize something that's in your teaching model now that might be a Frank Kern thing for example or a Aaron Fletcher thing and then going out and studying those particular people at a greater degree so that's really what I've been doing for the most part okay awesome and so then you know what I guess as we wrap this up what additional nuggets what other suggestions would you have for that digital marketing agency owner that's you know, just looking to try to get to the next level make get involved in something like a mastermind that's you know again agency specific um, that was huge for me um, niche 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 I was way too slow to commit to niching mm. and uh, you know I paid the price for that and then really work hard to make friends within a small, you know, again, under 100 size group is, I guess, what I would say, even if they're your competitors. And that core group, in my case, you know, there's about a half dozen guys that out of the mastermind, we've become pretty good friends and we openly share information. 
and you know here's here's my newest email I'm going to send out. What do you think? Oh, you totally forgot to put this in or that in. You know, those sound like things your team should catch, but it's amazing how sometimes we all can get kind of blind after working on a project for a while. Yeah. So you know, reach out, get involved. Um, you know, in this group, everybody here is a member of this group. Are you posting a question every? You know, pick Friday morning or whatever. Post one question that I have in my mind to the group and ask for some help on it. It's a, one of the most giving groups I'm a, a part of. So, yeah, yeah, you can only get so much as you ask, right? So don't be ashamed and don't be bashful to ask for help and and you know get the get the help and support of the others in the uh, in the program for sure. Well, and then when you approached me to, you know, help moderate the group, that told me your commitment to the whole project as well, because you still own an agency as well. And there are some weeks that get, you get crazy busy and then, you know, didn't want to see the group just sitting there stagnant. languishing, you know, stagnant. So I'm proud to step back into that role again. I, I took the last 60 days and just focused on merging the company, but now we'll be back in there. You guys will see me a lot more. That was my focus. Awesome. Um, biggest thing that uh, one of the questions was, you know, what what would I not do again? And I would not spend any time outside of the niche. Find the niche. Even if you change three times along the way, do everything you can in the niche. And I would say until you get to a million bucks. You know, when you got your little business humming away at a million bucks, you know, I was about 550 at the at you know, the end of this last year, 600, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, and I still had enough to learn to get to a million. I didn't need to go jump over and take on another niche and get distracted. And quite honestly, I made that mistake last year. And it is one of the factors in why I decided to sell. Mm. You know, it was just one of those, here I am again, getting myself distracted. I'm doing pretty good in childcare. And now I'm going to go do roofers, you know, and there's some something to be said for that. But I know I could have built just childcare to a million, and then it would have been easier to put that div particular division more on autopilot. Yeah. While I built why I built a second one, if that was my choice. Yeah, great, great point. I mean, stay in your lane. You know, if you're if you're looking at the analogy of the rocket ship, right? The rocket ship, it's got boosters underneath it, and if all of those boosters are pointed down and they fire at the same time that rocket ship takes off and it goes into cyber into space and it kind of coasts. Whereas if you've got a rocket ship and just one of those boosters is pointing in a different direction, there's going to be the same amount of force, but it never gets off the ground or it never gets to that critical mass that it needs to. And so, you know, what Jeff said, there's a tremendous insight. Just if you're going to focus on a niche, focus on that niche and really go after it relentlessly until you are at a point of critical mass, at which point you probably won't even want to tinker in other, in other niches. Oh, exactly, because you then by that point are the expert. And just think about using your rocket analogy. Every rocket you've ever seen that actually got off the ground and took a hard right turn, what happened to them? Crash they crashed. Yeah. Yep, something went wrong. So my point there is, you know, great, at a half million dollars, I'm now making that hard right turn into a new niche. And, you know, how much of my energy, cash flow, all those things would it, would it have taken? So, Absolutely. Well, I mean, this has, been, this has been an awesome interview. Jeff shared tremendous insights on how he picked his niche, um, how he landed his first five clients, what he does and what he's done that has worked well to, to attract customers, how he manages a completely virtual team. So, Jeff, thank you so much for your generosity and for your sharing. Uh, you know, for those of you guys listening, take a minute, post in the comments. Tag Jeff, send him a personal message thanking him for his willingness to share. You know, it, don't let it get lost on you that um, somebody does this in a vacuum and they know people are listening. They want to hear back. They want to get feedback. So spend a couple minutes. If you got value from this, thank Jeff. Send him a personal note. And um, anything else you want to add before we close the interview, Jeff? No, there's a couple of questions up here, but let me answer those. Oh, yeah, we will, um, we will, we will definitely address these questions before we close, but I'm just saying like the core part of the interview. No, no, I'm just, uh, I'm good. I, I'm here, ask away, PM me. I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. I'll tell you what I've done. 
And just one correction, uh, Josh, I have bought, sold, and merged 10 different businesses. Okay, so I, I undercut you. I apologize for that. 10 companies. That's awesome. So if you're, if you're thinking about merging, I can talk you through that. I've done that four times, you know, so. So we're going we're gonna to get to the questions. We have a bunch of you guys live, which is, which is awesome. Thank you, guys. If you happen to somehow be watching this video and you're not a member of the Seven Figure Agency and or maybe you're listening to the recording of this on iTunes, uh, definitely check out Seven Figure Agency at sevenfigureagency.com. Um, you can get a, a video training series that will kind of walk you through our model, how we were able to scale to, to seven figures, make the Inc. 5000 list two times in a row, and get access to, to really our, our model. So that's sevenfigureagency.com.